everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Hey, welcome everybody to our online gathering. Good to have you with us. There has never been ever in history more of life interruptions as we're experiencing uh, right now. So how do we have joy in the midst of that life interruption? And so we are talking about the idea that, man, we want to have joy in the midst of these life interruptions. We want to have that joy. And we talked about, you know, the idea that happiness and joy are not the same. Even though we are, our universal goal oftentimes is to pursue happiness, and, and, and I understand that. All of us want to pursue that kind of happiness. But as you know, it, it, happiness is, is usually circumstantial, isn't it? Happiness is usually something that happens, you know, but it also can be easily taken away. Whether we have a, you know, a bad day, whether we get a bad report, uh, whether, you know, somebody maybe cuts us off on the, on the highway, it usually d- determines determines our happiness and circumstances usually determine that but so we're not necessarily going after the, the pursuit of happiness we're going after joy how to have joy because joy is is non-circumstantial it's it's no matter what happens no matter what news you get no matter what circumstance you're in you can still have joy last week we talked about the apostle paul how you know he was uh, you know chained to a, a prison guard and he was under house arrest he was completely restricted from you know where he could go and what he could do and he wasn't even sure you know how how it all turn out he wasn't even sure how what the end results would be uh, of his life but yet he still was able to say you know rejoice in the lord always and again i will say rejoice he still had that joy regardless of his situation regardless of his circumstance we said that when we when we pursue happiness what ultimately will happen is this is that we will find that we will be unfulfilled uh, because regardless of how much pleasure you pursue or happiness you pursue you're you're never going to find fulfillment it's never going to be uh, enough and you probably know that you're going to ultimately feel burnt out you're gonna you know you're gonna strive and you know you know try to achieve this kind of happiness and and ultimately you know it's gonna wear you down and you're gonna you're gonna burn out and you're gonna be feel isolated there's gonna be some isolation uh in your life as, as a result of that and so we said that we're not necessarily even pursuing joy either but we want you to pursue god that's what we want you to pursue because joy is a byproduct of your relationship that you have with God. That joy is something that God gives. It's something that God produces in your life. And it's something for us to cultivate, but it's ultimately something that God produces. And so when that happens, when we pursue God, we're going to get joy. and We're going to have that joy of fulfillment in our life. We're going to have that joy of strength because Nehemiah 8.10 says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're going to have a fellowship like we, we've never felt before. You know, a, a, a community and relationships like we've never had before and so our target is our goal is God and and joy is a byproduct of that and we're going to experience all of these things the Hebrew writer wrote about this and he said that he described it in this way and I just want to read a few verses in Hebrews chapter 12 Uh, the Hebrew writer says as you're pursuing joy as you're cultivating joy he says therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us. And so he's describing, you know, this life like a, like a race. As a matter of fact, that word race uh, is a Greek word. Uh, it's the word agona, uh, where we get our word agony, where we, where we get our word agony. And so he describes this life as a race, and there's seasons of this life that feel agonizing. There's, there's seasons of this life that feel difficult and challenging circumstances that come our way, situations that come our way. And he says, he says, as we set before us, there's a race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Look what he says. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, he says, for consider him. So as you're in this race, as you're going through seasons of, of challenges and seasons of difficulties, seasons of life interruptions, he says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, so that you won't get tired and so that you won't lose heart or get discouraged. I don't know about you, but man, we are in a season of life right now where it's easy for you to grow weary. It's easy for me to grow weary. Uh, it's easy for us to get discouraged. I mean, the, the restrictions and the limitations and, you know, all the, the, the news out, outlets out there that, you know, that are just inundating our minds with, with fear and, and worry and anxiety. And, man, just the, our concerns, we, we feel like we're, you know, just being discouraged when we you know, think about the health issues out there. We're concerned for our loved ones. We, we're concerned about financial struggles, you know, that, that are happening and, and, and maybe are going to come our way. You know, we're concerned about, you know, the social issues that we're facing uh, today. All, lots of things right now that are easy for us to feel discouraged by. And maybe you're, you know, trying to, you know, go out shopping and you're trying to find certain supplies, you know, to make light of, uh, of it as, as, as hard as that is, you know, to be still not able to find toilet paper. I don't know about you, uh, but still having a hard time. And so that might be discouraging. You're like, I didn't hoard any of that. I just want, you know, need some supply. So there's lots of things out there that we're discouraged by. And he's telling us, the Hebrew writer, whoever it is, he's telling us, hey, we need to consider him and we need to know that there is a way in which you won't grow weary. There's a way in which you won't get discouraged. There's a way that you won't, even, if, even as you're in this race that is set before us, that we didn't choose it, we didn't ask for it, but it's just set before us. How do we not get discouraged? How do we not lose heart? How do we not grow weary? Well, Here's a couple things I think would be helpful for us as the Hebrew writer is, is helping us. Uh, verse, back to verse 1. He says, therefore, therefore. So whenever you see in the Bible the word therefore, you need to ask this question. What is it therefore? What is it therefore? Well, typically when we see, and, and I'm telling you, one of the most powerful words in the scripture is that word therefore. Because here's what, here's what it teaches us. That there are, when, it, when you talk about therefore, the link between indicatives, which are 
you know, realities, which are facts. Um, the, be, the link between indicatives and imperatives is the word therefore. The therefore is that, is that link. And so when we think about the indicatives, we think about, you know, the facts, realities, what, what, you know, what's true, um, what you need to wrap your mind around, what you need to understand. That's what indicatives are. And so he says, he says, you know, therefore, which is precedes indicatives. And he says, what you do with that is now there are imperatives. So after and therefore are imperatives. What you, how you should respond, how you should apply this, what you should look at, what is imperative for you, you know, as you move forward. And so go back to the verse. He says this, therefore. So what he said, what precedes therefore. And then he tells us what we should do, what are imperatives that we should do next. What he said prior to therefore and what we should do next. So he says, therefore, okay, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about what he just talked about in chapter 11. He's talking about witnesses. He say, what are, who, who are these witnesses? These witnesses are winners of our faith in Hebrews 11. That's what he's talking about. So he's saying, therefore, and he's talking about these great cloud of witnesses. He's referring back to these heroes of faith in chapter 11. And he's saying, listen, when it comes to the race for joy, that requires some reminding. When it comes to the race for joy, it requires you to be reminded of some past Winners. It requires you to be reminded of men and women who ran this race for joy and they were winners. They were heroes of it. And so when you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, you think about people like Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was a, a, a man who God came to and said and made this promise. He said, Abraham, he says, I'm going to make your name great. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And, and, and through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be made great. And so here's what we learn from Abraham. Here's what we learn. That God is good on his promises. That God is good on his promises. That God made a promise to Abraham and, and God fulfilled that promise. Here's how I know why we know that that is true. Because I say the name Abraham and you know exactly who that is. A guy that lived on this earth thousands of years ago and didn't have other, much you know, to his, his name or his property or you know, his income or status at all. Yet God made a promise to Abram and said, I'm going to make your name great. And because you automatically know who Abraham is, whether you're a Christian, a Jesus follower, or you're not, you know who Abraham is. And here's what is this, this proof of. This is proof of that God is good on his promises. Another guy that you might see in Hebrews 11 is the name Joseph. You'll see Joseph and Joseph, wow, you should read Joseph's story. What a story about how God is good on his purposes. 
And man, you should look back at Joseph's life and see all the things that Joseph had to endure, all the things that Joseph had to go through. Yet at the end of his story in the scripture, here's what we know. And Joseph made this statement, and this is so important for all of us. So important for all of us. Here's what he said. He says, he was talking to his brothers who his brothers sold him into slavery. Imagine that. Your own brother selling you into slavery. And he, and he comes across his brothers and he tells them this. What you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God had a greater purpose. God had a greater purpose plan. What you thought you were doing for evil, God was using that for good. We have a, a verse that sort of matches that. It's in Romans 8, 28. It says, for God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things, all things, good things, bad things, he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. Here's what we learn from Joseph. And here's when it comes to running the race for joy that we need to be reminded of. People like Abraham, that God is good on his promises. And we need to be reminded of people like Joseph, that God is good on his purposes. How about another guy? Moses. Moses, wow, what a story. You should read Moses' story. But all throughout Moses' life, from the time that he was you know, sent down the river by his mother, brought into the palace, um, you know, and raised you know, as a prince, and, and then decided that, you know, that he was going to you know, despise all of that and reject all of that, that, that worldly you know, provision, that he decided that he was just going to identify himself with his own people. And his whole story, his whole story is simply about how God is good on his provisions. That all throughout Moses' life, and you should read his story, that God is good on his provisions, that God was going to meet the need. Even though there was times where Moses, you know, woke up in the morning and thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how, what's going to happen next. I don't know how we're going to survive this. I don't know how we're going to see, you know, see this through. But God showed himself to be good on his provisions. Maybe you'll read in Hebrews chapter 11 about the Babylonian boys. You say, who are the Babylonian boys? The Babylonian boys are guys like Daniel, guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the Babylonian boys. These were Jewish young men who were taken into captivity and brought into Babylon. And they were, you know, they were told to, you know, to sort of conform to, you know, the ways of the Babylonians. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Babylonian boys, refused to do it. They refused to do it. Daniel kept praying to his God even though, you know, they told him that, you know, there was consequences to that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow their knees, you know, to, you know, to a false idol even though there was tremendous consequences to that. I mean, come on, you know the story of Daniel. You know the situation when he was in the lion's den. You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when, it, when they were in the fiery furnace. And all that proved to us was this, and all that should remind us of, of us is this, that God is good on his protection. 
that God is good at his protection. Re- they, they refused to bow their knee. They refused to change who they, who they worshipped and who they made as a priority in their life. And they made God that priority. And they made God the only one that they would worship. And they wouldn't bow their knee to anything else. And there were, and there were consequences for that. But yet all God showed, and all this should remind us of, as we run the race for joy, that God is good on his protection. Let me give you another one. Rahab, you can read about her, her story, and you can see her name as a winner in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, come on, Rahab. I mean, talk about a, a woman who had a checkered past. You know, somebody that is hard for us, even, you know, in our culture and society to even identify with. But yet her story, her story is, is, is just about how God is good on his peace. That God is good on his peace. That she brought in these spies that came in to assess the, the land that God was going to give you know, to, to the nation of Israel. And that these spies came in and she, she brought them in and she kept them and protected them and kept peace in them. And as a result of that, because she did that, God promised her that because she brought peace for these spies, that God would give her peace for the rest of her days. As a matter of fact, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. What a story. What a story on how God is good on his peace. You see, the race for joy should be a reminder of how God is good. He's good on his promises. He's good on his protection. He's good on his provisions. He's good on his peace. He's good on his purposes. You see, here's the thing that we need to learn from. God's faithfulness in the past, God's faithfulness in the past is evidence of his faithfulness in the future. So as you're racing to find joy before you grow weary and before you get discouraged, you should be reminded of how faithful our God is. And just like he was faithful in the past, that should be evidence for you and me that he's faithful to you and he's going to be continue to be faithful to you. He's going to continue to show his purposes. He's going to continue to show his provisions. He's going to continue to give you peace. He's going to continue to show that he made these promises and he is good on these things. It is a reminder for us all. The second thing is the race for joy requires removing. The race for joy requires some removing. Here's what he says in verse 1. He says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance. So he's telling us that we need to, for the race for joy, there's some things that we need to lay aside. There's some things that we need to remove. If we're going to have joy, we need to, to eliminate some of, these, some of these weights. We need to remove some of these, these he, he calls them encumbrances. So uh, not too long ago, there was a, uh, a fight, a boxing match uh, between Deontay Wilder and uh, Tyson Fury. Deontay Wilder walked into the ring for his fight uh, wearing this. Now, 
Uh, that's not something that I would choose to wear, uh, but that's something that he chose to wear. He ended up losing the fight. He was undefeated without any losses, and he ended up losing the fight to Tyson Fury. He says the reason why he believes he lost the fight was this, and I will, I'll share with you what he said. I didn't have legs from the beginning of the fight. In the third round, my legs were just shot all the way through. I didn't have the legs because of my uniform. What is his uniform? The uniform of the picture that I just showed you on the screen. He says, he goes on to say, I was only able to put it on for the first time the night before, but I didn't think it was going to be that heavy. It weighed 40 some pounds. I wanted it to be good, and I guess, here's what he says, this is, this is interesting, but I guess I put that before anything. I mean, here's a guy that spent hours and hours and hours training, preparing, you know, for this fight. And he decides that he wants to wear this, what he calls a uniform, and he wears it in, and it weighed some 40-some pounds. And he says because of that weight that he carried into the ring, it caused his legs to be shot. It caused him to lose his leg strength. And I'm telling you, you know what that was? That was an encumbrance. It was an encumbrance. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a, it was a thing that boxers do, but it, it wasn't good for his purpose. It wasn't good for his goal. Listen, encumbrances aren't always bad things. Encumbrances aren't sinful things. They're just things that sometimes weigh us down from something better. And that's what athletes do. Athletes don't you know, just choose between good and, or, or, you know, they don't choose between good and bad. They choose between best and better, best and better. Not between good and bad, but best and better. And so Deontay Wilder chose something that he said was the reason why he lost that night is because he had an encumbrance on him. He had a weight on him and that he needed to remove. We have these weights. Maybe for you, they look like this. Encumbrances are maybe busy schedules a busy schedule it's not a bad thing to be busy it's not a bad thing to have a full schedule especially if you have a big family and you have lots of you know you know places to go and people to see I, I get that but but right now right now we're being forced to not have such busy of schedules aren't we we're sort of forced right now to sort of you know stay I can't remember a Saturday you know where I didn't have anything to do you know, I didn't have a whole lot to do. And so, um, man, a busy schedule. And so here's what we know. We know that eventually this pandemic is going to pass. We know that eventually this is going to, you know, be done. And here's what we're, we need to be aware of. Or here's what we need to remember. That we're going to, our schedules are going to get busy again. And we're going to go from place to place and, and, you know, situation to situation, person to person. And listen. Don't allow your busy schedules to get in the way of finding joy. Don't let that be a weight for you of running this race of joy. So be careful. Be careful as you begin to or as we begin to work our way out of this and move back into a situation where we might find ourselves busy again. Another encumbrance could be a negative thought. 
a negative, our negative thoughts. Oh my goodness, we are living in a time where if we, whatever we look at our phone, watch something on television, it's, we're all just inundated in our minds with negativity. We're inundated in our minds with fearfulness. And it's so easy for our thoughts to go that way. It's so easy for our minds to go in that, in that direction. Listen, all of us are going to have negative thoughts. All of us are going to have unhealthy thoughts. But it's what we do with those thoughts is important. That's why the scripture teaches us to take into captivity every thought that comes to your mind. Take into captivity every thought that comes to your mind. Uh, understanding that some things that are coming to our mind, that we, how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? That's what we need to understand. And so maybe an encumbrance is a busy schedule, or maybe it's a, some negative thoughts. Uh, another one could be the fear of change. The fear of change. Again, we live in a time where we're afraid, we worry, we get anxious, and we're afraid of what's going to change, what is going to be different as we come through this. So all I can tell you is this, is that sometimes, oftentimes, it's about just continually pushing forward even when you're afraid. Continually pushing forward even when you're afraid. And the most important thing that you can do, so not only just doing it afraid and keep going, keep running, for that, for that joy, but praying for, the most important thing, praying for that peace in that time. All of us are, have fear of change. All of us are worried and concerned of the changes that's going about to happen. But listen, here's what he says. If you want to have joy, you need to take that weight off. If you want to have joy, you need to eliminate, lay aside, he says, those encumbrances. Maybe it's a busy schedule. Maybe it's negative thoughts. Maybe it's the fear of change. Maybe it's something completely different for you. But you, you and I need to recognize some of these weights, and we need to remove some of these weights. He, he not just talked about encumbrances, but he also talked about, look what he says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And so when we talk about sin that so easily entangles us, I talk, we just call them entangles, right? Entangles. These are unconfessed sins. These are things that you're harboring in your heart, inside of you, whether it's jealousy, whether it's resentment, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's greed. All of us have these, these things that are entangled easily entangling us, that these are unconfessed sins. It's so important that as we, as we deal with and running the race and finding joy in the race, that we confess. The scripture tells us that we are to confess our sins one towards another. Why? Because if we don't, they might entangle us. And what happens is they become unconfessed sins and then they become uncontrolled sins. They, they, they get out of control, and you, you, at once you were able to control it, and you were able to, you know, to you know, navigate through it. But now, now you've allowed it to reside and to take residence in your heart. And because you haven't confessed it, and now it's become an uncontrolled sin. And it's now wrapped you up, and it's now entangled you. And boy, sin so easily, he says, easily entangles us if we're not careful so he says if for the race of joy for the race of joy 
you need to remove some things. It requires removing. Maybe those are some encumbrances, and those don't have to be necessarily bad things, but there's something that is preventing you, that's weighing you down from running the race that you were meant to run. Listen, the race is hard enough. Life is hard enough. It has its own challenges. So let's let go of the things that don't matter. Let's let go of the things, those encumbrances. Let's let go of those sins that easily entangle us. Confess those sins before they become things that we can't control in our life. David didn't do that. David didn't confess his sin, and eventually his sin controlled him. And what happened was is that he lost something that was so important to him. He lost the joy that he had in God. He lost that, that, uh, that rejoicing, that thrill, that excitement, that passion that he had in God. And he prays this prayer after his sin is now out in the open. He prays this prayer to God. And look what he says in Psalm 51. He says, restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. He's saying, God, listen, listen. God, please restore me the joy of your salvation. I, 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 I lost joy because, because I let this encumbrance get in the way. I lost joy because I was so easily entangled by this, by this sin. I lost joy. I didn't confess it and, it, and it controlled me. And so, God, God, would you, would you give me what only you can give? God, would you give me what only you can produce in me? And that is a joy. Restore that joy back to me. And God, would you not just restore that joy, but God, would you sustain me with a willing spirit, a willing spirit to stay connected to you, to stay close to you, to find my joy in you, in you. Because God in you, God, is fulfillment. God in you, God, is strength. God in you is fellowship like I've never experienced before. God, restore that joy. Restore that joy. For in the race for joy, it requires some reminding. We should go back and look. We should go back and look. In the race for joy, it requires some removing. And the third thing, the race for joy requires some resolve. It requires some resolve. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. And let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. There's a race that is set before us. We didn't determine it. We didn't choose it. It wasn't a race that we would have run, but it's set before us. And so he says, as we run, let us run the race with endurance. The race for joy is going to require some resolve. Resolve. Now, um, years ago, Australia had what they called an ultra marathon, an ultra marathon. That is a, a, a 544 mile run from Melbourne to Sydney, Melbourne to Sydney, 544 mile run. 
you, you got to imagine the, the, the most world-class trained runners would show up to this race. I mean, men and women that were just, you know, world-class athletes, they would show up to this race. They had about, this year, about 1983, they had about 150-some runners to this 544-mile uh, ultra-marathon. As they're there getting ready, these world-class athletes, a guy by the name of Cliff Young shows up. Cliff Young was a potato farmer. There's a picture of him right there. He was 61 years old, 1983, 61 years old. He shows up to this Australian ultramarathon, 61 years old. He shows up with a baseball cap, overalls, and boots with galoshes over top of his boots just in case that it rained in this run. He shows up overalls, hat, galoshes, as, as a runner, he was going to run in the race. As you can imagine, these young, world-class athletes are looking at this guy going, what in the world are you doing? Who do you think you are? You know, they're in their 20-somethings, and he's 61 years old. They've got, you know, tennis shoes on. They're, you know, they're geared in their Nike and their, you know, you know, Reebok and all these different things. And he's got overalls on. And they're looking at this guy going, what is he doing? So the race begins, and he starts to go. And as you can imagine, all of these athletes went out ahead of him, and he's just kind of going at his own pace. And as a matter of fact, he's not even looking like he's running. He's looking like he's shuffling. And later they, they sort of coined this, this phrase that he used, they called it the Cliff Young shuffle because he's just kind of shuffling along, you know. And what they knew, these world-class athletes knew, that Cliff Young didn't know was this. They knew that you run for 18 hours, and then you sleep for six. You run for 18 hours, and then you sleep for six. Well, no one told Cliff this information. And so Cliff, while everyone else would stop after 18 hours of running to sleep, Cliff would keep going. Cliff would keep shuffling along. And around, it was about a six and a half day run. Around day five, after Everyone else was, would stop to sleep. Cliff kept going. And around day five, he passed every runner up. As a matter of fact, Cliff Young went across the finish line before everyone else. And he, not only did he win the race, but he set a new world record. He beat everybody by at least 12 hours at the end of the race. Amazing, huh? As a matter of fact, just he would, he was given a, a, the prize for the for winning the race. He was given ten thousand dollars for winning the race. He was surprised that there was a a, 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 a you know a prize at the end, and he, he took that ten thousand dollars and he distributed it to all the other runners in the race that that day. Just an amazing, amazing story of endurance. Someone asked him, "How was he able to do that? How was he able to you know to to?" you know, beat the, beat everybody, world-class athletes. How was he able to, you know, get the world record? And he said, you know, I just, 
when I grew up, I grew up on this farm, we had 10,000 acres, and throughout that 10,000 acres, we had thousands of sheep and thousands of cattle, and he goes, I was just imagining myself collecting, when the storm was coming in, I had, a, my job was to collect all of those sheep and all of those cattle as a storm was coming in, and he goes, I would run for two to three days straight, just making sure that all of our sheep and all of our cattle were secure and safe. He goes, that's what I just imagined. Anytime I got tired, I just kept going, thinking about those sheep, thinking about those cattle. Boy, what a race of endurance. When everybody else was sleeping, he kept running. When everybody else wanted to quit, he kept going. When everybody else was stopping, he kept going. Listen, that's true for us. When we run the race for joy, there needs to be some resolve. There needs to be some endurance. When everybody else wants to quit, you need to keep going. When everybody else wants to stop, you need to keep running because we're running an incredible race. And boy, the Hebrew writer tells us this, fixing, so as we're running this race, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what he, here's what we say, he says. He says, come on. Run, the race for joy requires some resolve, but as you do that, you should fix your eyes on Jesus. As you're running, fix your eyes on Jesus because if you're not, you're gonna, want, you're gonna grow weary. If you don't, you're gonna lose heart. If you don't, you're gonna get discouraged. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus because Jesus saw the joy that was set before him. He saw the joy set before him. And so what he, when he saw that joy, he was able to endure he was able to endure, and he knew that he, one day he was going to come to the right hand of God. And boy, I hope that you are looking forward to coming to the right hand of God, because David reminds us of this in Psalm sixteen eleven. If you were here with us last week, we read this. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. He says, come on, in the right hand of God, that's what we're running towards. We're running for that right hand of God because in his right hand, there are pleasures forever. There are pleasures forever. So race for joy requires some resolve. It requires some resolve, but we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. He says, and Hebrew writer says this in verse three, he says, for consider him, for consider him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here's what he's saying. Eyes on Jesus, endure like Jesus. The race for joy in the midst of a life interruption, in the midst of uncertainty, in the times where you want to grow weary, in the times that you're going to get discouraged, eyes on Jesus, endure like Jesus. What does that mean for us? It means look at the past winners. Look at the past winners. Go back to your, to your Old Testament and find a character, whether it's Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Rahab, David, Joshua, whoever that is. Find a character and be reminded of how God is so faithful because God's faithfulness in the past is evidence 
of God's faithfulness to you in the future. So look at past winners. Why? Because winning produces joy. Winning produces joy. The other thing is we need to look at the potential weights. We need to look at encumbrances that are getting in the way. They may not be bad things, but these are weights that are preventing us from finding and striving and reaching for joy. Why? Because what happens is this. Sinning prohibits joy. Sinning prohibits joy. You can't have sin and joy. They, they don't coexist together. They don't coexist together. You can't have sin. You can't pursue pleasure and, and have joy because sinning prohibits joy. So we've got to look at the weights. What are some of the weights that are easily entangling us? And the last thing is we need to look at the perfect way. And Jesus is the perfect way. If you're running in this race, there's not a better way to run the race than by looking, by fixing our eyes on the way. And his way is the perfect, perfect way. His way is the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. If you want to have life, life to the full, if you want to have joy and experience that joy, whether you're going through a difficult situation or not he says i want you to look at fix your eyes on look at the perfect way why because running precedes joy running precedes joy run this race run this race paul remember we we talked about paul in under house arrest restricted constrained not able to go anywhere tied to a, a guard not knowing what what his future hold whether he would live or die he wrote this letter to this church. Look what he says. He says, holding fast the word of life. In other words, hold on tight to Jesus. Hold on tight to Jesus. It's his way of saying, looking at, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Not religion. Religion is, is, is empty. Religion is shallow. We're, we're looking at Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. He says, hold fast the word of life who's Jesus so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory. In other words, there's going to be a day when, all, when this race is going to be over. There's going to be a day when this is going to be finished. There's going to be a day we're going to stand before Jesus. All of us will are going to stand before Jesus. He says, and until then, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to the word of life. He says, in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory. Because I did not run in vain. I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. He says, the race that I ran, I just held on to Jesus. The race that I ran for joy, I was just looking at Jesus. Because he is the perfect way. He says, but even, verse 17, we looked at this last week. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, even if I'm, this is the end of my life. Even, though, even if this is the end of my story, as I'm being Poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Joy is non-circumstantial. It's non-situational. For Paul, he's like, I'm running this race and I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm running this race and I'm holding on to Jesus. And when I know when I stand before him one day, I'm going to glory. 
because I didn't run this race in vain. I didn't work and I didn't toil in vain. And even if my life is finished here in this Roman prison cell, connected to this Roman guard, so be it. I'm gonna continue to rejoice and I'm gonna continue to write this letter to you and to share this letter with you, church, and share my joy with you all. And then he tells them this. Look what he says in verse 18. You too, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. In the same way, whether you like these things or not, whether you're happy or not, whether you're, you know, love what's, what's going on in the world around you or not. It, he says, I want you to have that same joy. And in the same way as I'm sharing my joy with you, he says, I want you to share your joy with me. So for you, it's look at the past winners. It's look at the potential weights. And it's look at the perfect way. And I want you, here's what I want you to do, because here's what we're really good at. We're really good at being passionate about something and wanting to post it for the world to see. That's what we're good at. We're, we're all passionate about something and, and, and wanting to post something that what we're feeling, that's, that's the world we live in, it's the social media we have, and, and you have that right to do that, and, and, and we see your passion, we see your enthusiasm, but here's what we want you to do. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to take that passion that you have for something that is upsetting you or angering you or you know causing you to be frustrated and, and wanting you to give up on, on this or that or walk away way or get discouraged. He says, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to post something positive. I want you to post something positive. I want you to take that passion that you have for something that is frustrating you or discouraging you or making you angry, and I want you to reshift that. Paul says, listen, we can't control our surroundings. We can't control our circumstances, but what you can do is you can control what you do with that. You can control how you respond to that. You can control what you, how you, you know, how you follow up with that. So he says, I want, you to, I want you to share that joy. I want you to rejoice with me, he says, and I want you to share that joy. So I want you, I want you to post something positive. And maybe it's at the time when you are wanting to post something not positive. Maybe it's at the time and you're really just getting angry and anxious and upset and discouraged when you're wanting to post something not positive. Maybe it's deciding, you know what, I'm going to take that negative thought and I'm going to take it captive and instead I'm going to post something passionate about fixing my eyes on Jesus. Something about how God is good on his promises or God is good on his provisions or God is good on his purposes or God is good on his peace. And now is the time for us as a church to say, you know what? I'm gonna be a light in dark. I'm gonna shine bright for the world to see. And when everybody's negative and everybody's afraid and everybody's fearful not me because I'm looking at Jesus who endured a cross 
and despised shame because of the joy that was set before him. So for you and me, hey, let's look at that joy that is set for us in eternity and in glory and so that we can say, I didn't run this race in vain. That I ran it for the pursuit of joy in Jesus and in him is where I get fulfillment. In him is when I get strength. And in him, I get fellowship like I've never experienced it before. So the challenge for us, church, whenever you're watching, wherever you're watching from, at some point, would you do us this favor? Because I, I want to hear your joy. I want to hear your joy. And I know there are people out there, as a change of pace, need to hear something positive. So I encourage you to do that. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for joining us. If you joined us online, we'll be online all week. God bless all of those that are healthcare workers, those that are first responders, those that are taking care of um, loved ones, those that are who are in high risk. We're praying for you. We're believing in you. We support you. If there's anything that we can do for you as a church, we are here and available to you. Let's pray. Father, we're running this race. And it's hard enough to run this race in this life without carrying around the weights, encumbrances, and sin that it easily entangles. So Lord, I help us to be reminded and that we need to be lay these aside. That we need to remove these from our life. Help us to go back and give us the ability to go back and look at stories and scripture that are meant to be there to remind us of how faithful you are. To remind us that you were there for them and you helped them work through a, a situation that was challenging and you, you saw them all the way through that, Lord, as, as you did that for them, for people like Rahab and for people like Joseph and for people like Abraham, you're going to do that for us because that's just evidence of your faithfulness. Help us to be reminded of that. And God, that we run this race with some resolve. Just like Cliff Young did when he was 61 years old, ran the race of endurance and set a world record because of his resolve. And help us to run this race, God, that we don't run it in vain. That are just, we're just holding on to you. We're holding on to you. And we're fixing our eyes on you. And we're enduring like you. And we need to be reminded every single day that you are good. That you are in control. And that you have a purpose and a plan for all things. And that's not going to rob us of our joy. That's not going to rob us of our joy. And so we're going to be intentional about giving out and sharing positive, intentional about giving and sharing ways in which we can find joy even in the midst of something that is easy for us to grow weary and is easy for us to get discouraged. We've set our course for joy. Be with each one. Praying for everyone out there. In Jesus' name.
Amen.